The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out cybionicscgm.com. How's it going? It's Owen here, and this is a bite-sized episode of the Insulone Podcast, Redefining Diabetes. Every week, we'll dip back into the episode archive and get you to think and reflect once more about some of the things we've learned from the podcast over the last few years. It could be some diabetic wisdom, advice, a great guest, or even a hypo story. So enjoy this bite-sized episode of the Insulone Podcast. Katie, for anyone who doesn't live in America, who's listening right now, and even living in Ireland, we get so there's something called the long-term illness scheme, where basically... Okay we get all our insulin for free. Right. But yes. for anybody who isn't really aware of what the sort of insulin costs are in the States, what kind of bills were you and Nick seeing? Oh, gosh. Um, certainly, I mean, for I remember one of my bottles of insulin, but long story short, I, I didn't have it covered at the time, but I had to have it. And it was $323. And I just, I've remembered that number for a long time because it was such a shock to me. And, you know, at the time, you know, I was certainly, that's expensive to anybody, I would think. But mm. I mean, certainly to me at the time, I mean, to to have to pay for something like that and then make you struggle in your everyday life because of what it costs just was was really hard. And especially for my brother when he had moved to Minnesota and he had started a new job and didn't have insurance yet. Um, I mean, same for him. He was he was paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars just even, you know, for test strips. And I remember, you know, him telling me he had a ration his insulin because how is he going to, you know, afford to, to go get more, you know, or, or any of the supplies really. Um, and that's been a, a huge, a huge thing for a, well, I mean, for both of us, but, um, certainly something that's frustrating enough, I would say for anyone, but a huge part of even management, which is sad, right? That you would have to even second guess, you know, what am I going to do today? Because I can't afford what I need to live. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that it just shouldn't be an issue. And unfortunately it is. And I think it's even difficult to even hear stories like yours and Nick's because it is that condition that if you don't get it, there are almost immediate consequences. Mm -hmm. And for something like insulin, 
that is made so cheaply exactly. to cost so much. And when you said hundreds, is that hundreds a month hundreds. for, again, for people who Absolutely. don't know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so hundreds a month for sure. I, and that was just one bottle of insulin. So let's say, you know, my brother didn't even have insurance. He needs his insulin. He needs his test strips. He needs syringes. And so that would be a bill close to $500 just for a month supply, you know? And I remember even uh, I had, did have insurance and I would try to get more supplies or get, you know, my prescription in, increased so that I could give him supplies, you know, because he thought, oh, what if I, you know, run out of syringes or, you know, um, and it's just, it's scary really to think of it that way because, and I myself have, even, even though I do have insurance and, and pay a lot of money for my supplies still, I, I remember taking less insulin at times too, because I thought, well, shoot, I'm not going to, you know, make it the whole month and until I have to get another one and I can't afford it yet, you know? So it was certainly, um, certainly something that I, I didn't really think, I mean, I obviously took it for granted when my, you know, parents were paying for my supplies when I was younger and stuff. But, um, I thought, gosh, what, what an interesting other complication of diabetes, right? That you have to pay that much money and it can be life-threatening, obviously. I mean, you can't go that long without your insulin. Well, as if living with type one diabetes wasn't difficult enough, let alone having the the financial issues alongside it. Yes. Do you feel, Katie, that that whole issue in itself is part of the reason that Nick went into DKA? You know, thinking about it now, I absolutely, I I definitely think it was part of it. Um, I do remember at the time too, he, there was a, when he went into DKA, there was a hesitation of even getting him to a hospital because he didn't have insurance. And how sad is that, right? I mean, like, oh my gosh, where can we take you because you don't have insurance and it's just going to cost so much money, you know, if um, if we take you and, and there isn't, you know, that um, th- there's that cost to have to deal with. I mean, for that to even be a, a thought is scary and sad obviously because that that shouldn't be something you have to worry about um in an emergency absolutely not your only thought should be get to the hospital get help straight away as soon as possible absolutely what were the circumstances surrounding nick going into dka initially had he been ill beforehand had he just had his bloods higher than normal what was happening yeah so pretty interesting sequence of events um several weeks before he went into dka he had a flu um he had you know not felt well but he got over the flu and um and was able to manage his blood sugars and uh got over it but then a a couple weeks later um he kind of had similar symptoms. He was throwing up very dehydrated, didn't feel good, excessively thirsty. Um, and he had never had DKA before. Um, certainly I had, but, but kind of, like I said earlier, it, it wasn't something I talked about that much. It just sort of happened. I got over it. I was out of the hospital. I was okay. And we didn't really talk about it again. Um, so I think he probably didn't even have any idea 
that that's what it was. Um, so when he was that sick, I think him and his fiance thought, oh, it's, you know, another flu. Okay. You know, maybe this is a little more serious. Um, but it, it certainly, I mean, the, the whole story is he ended up, you know, having a heart attack and, and died, um, from DKA and he just, he didn't get care quick enough. I mean, I, who knows if, if he had gotten to the hospital, if, if he would have been fine, you know, and, and walked out of there. Um, but I like to think that if he had gotten care sooner that he might've, and, and that's only from my experience because it had happened to me, you know, I had, I've had DKA several times. I went to the hospital and survived, but he, uh, he had a heart attack and, um, and didn't make it. Where were you when you found this out? Were you, were you back home? I was, yes. So I was in California. I actually was um, at work. <laughs> and I remember his fiance calling me and telling me, um, she actually, she told me, you know, Nick's had a heart attack. And obviously I thought, oh my God, what? You know, I mean, he was extremely healthy. I mean, for the most part, you know, other than being type one, but healthy and really nothing else had been wrong. And, um, she told me she had a heart attack and he's at the hospital. And she actually said that they were going to perform this cooling method to help prevent brain swelling and any brain damage. Um, he was in a coma, but they would be essentially waking him up in a couple days. And I thought, Oh my God, I mean, obviously, you know, I was just, how, how could this be? You know, my gosh, what happened? I had just talked to him a, a couple nights before it, he had told me he didn't feel good. And I was, I was with a friend and I just, you know, had a con quick conversation with him. Well, you know, call me when you get better. I love you. You know, talk to you soon. And just a couple of days later, I get this call. And so when she told me about this, you know, this coma and that they would be waking him up, I thought, oh my God, you know, I, I need to get to him, you know? And, uh, that first night I re all I could think about was, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to get there. I want to be there before he wakes up so I can just give him hell and say, you're so dramatic. You know, what, what did you just do? You know, and just, and just thought, you know, oh my gosh, I can't wait to give him a hard time, you know? for scaring us all. And, and he just wants attention, you know, and trying to just think of some funny way to, you know, deal with this situation. And the next day, I actually, I actually went to work. Now that I think about it, I don't know why, but I, I went to work kind of I think wanting to explain to everybody what was going on and that I was going to be leaving, you know, going to Minnesota because Nick was in a coma and um, I couldn't have been at work for more than five minutes when his fiance called and said, you know, I just talked to the doctors and they said, there's nothing they can do. And I just was so confused. What do you mean? They're, you said he's going to, you know, be waking up. What are you talking about? Um, 
And there wasn't really much, you know, they just said he's had too much brain damage and they, his family needs to come. And that's really kind of all I got at that time. Um, as you can imagine, I was pretty devastated and just trying to figure out how to get to him. Um, my parents were actually out of town. They were on vacation, you know, in this, this area that doesn't have good reception, of course, you know, so trying to get a hold of them and it, it was pretty chaotic. Um, but we, we did end up all of us going out to Minnesota and, um, you know, going to see him. And I, I remember going to the hospital and he just, he looked healthy. I mean, he, it was just so surprising to me. I mean, he didn't look terrible or, or anything, I, I guess maybe you would expect, um, or maybe what I was expecting. And it was just a real shock. And even the, um, the doctors and nurses were, were just extremely surprised at how quickly everything had happened. Um, and we at the time really thought, well, God, it was the heart attack, you know, that, that led to this, you know, but, um, after all of it, you know, the cause of death was actually DKA and that elevation and, uh, that caused the brain damage and, and led to him being in that coma and eventually passing away. Thanks for listening to this bite-sized episode of the Insulone podcast. And if you want to listen to the full episode, you can check it out in the description. Chat to you soon.